This podcast is proudly brought to you by Soul Street Coffee. Start your day with a smile. You can visit them at www.soulstreetcoffee.com. And Anchor, the premier podcast hosting platform. Are you interested in launching your own podcast? Please visit them at anchor.fm. Some guys might decide that it's a little too tough or it's a little too hard. It's a little too demanding. I'll give you a little example. I got an anonymous letter from a parent said, you know, we just kind of bummed out this year that uh, the boys only get two weeks off before they start their summer conditioning program. You know, normally they get three. Well, we gave them a week at the start of the semester rather than at the end. But here's my point, okay? It's Division I football! It's the Big 12! It ain't your murals! You got two weeks after finals, you got a week of July 4th, and you got a week before camp starts. That's a month! That's probably more vacation than you guys get! And we're a little bummed out that we don't get three weeks? Go play intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals. And with that intro from Coach Dan Hawkins, welcome into our coverage of the Southeastern Conference football season. Hi, everyone. I am Summer, and I want to thank you for joining us. I am pleased to be joining my guys, Billy and Kenneth, as we cover the best conference in college football. Kenneth has said all week long in our production meetings that for him this is final exam Saturday. Coaches must keep player emotions in check to avoid some costly penalties. I am talking about what we saw last year in the Egg Bowl. Here are the games on the Saturday slate. Kentucky at Florida. Mississippi State at Ole Miss. Vanderbilt at Missouri. LSU at Texas A&M. Georgia at South Carolina. Our game of the week, Alabama and Auburn. And now Billy will give you where the lines and totals open for each game. Auburn at Alabama. The Tide opened as a 25-point favorite with a game total of 66.5. Mississippi State at Ole Miss. Ole Miss opened as a 12-point favorite with a game total of 65.5. Georgia at South Carolina. Georgia opened as a 18-point favorite with a game total of 55.5. Kentucky at Florida. The Gators opened as a 23-point favorite with a game total of 57.5. LSU at Texas A&M. The Aggies opened as a 12-point favorite with a game total of 62.5. Vanderbilt at Missouri. The Tigers opened as a 16.5-point favorite with a game total of 55. Thank you, Billy. And after this brief commercial break, I will be joined by Kenneth for his analysis for each game. In the next segment, we will go through the first part off the Saturday slate. We are pleased to be partnered with our dear friend Rachel Barbeau and her organization I'm Changing the Narrative. The mission of I'm Changing the Narrative is to promote positive mental health and good love for yourself and others to serve as an inspiration for students, professionals and parents to create an individual legacy of purpose, passion and platform. Rachel speaks to athletes about taking back the headlines for good, showing them that they have the power to change the narrative and to find their purpose in life outside of their sport. To live lives of purpose, passion, and platform. Just like her inspiration, Alabama and NFL star, Kevin Turner did before he succumbed to ALS and CTE. For more information please visit www.iamchangingthenarrative.org. The Rebel Walk is your source for the best coverage of Ole Miss sports. You can follow our good friend, Ole Miss Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie, and you can follow The Rebel Walk on Twitter at The Rebel Walk. Be sure to check out their website at www.therebelwalk.com. Thank you.
Welcome back everyone and I am pleased to be joined by both of my guys Billy and Kenneth. Guys let's start with our first game is Mississippi State and Ole Miss. This next game is being sponsored by the Rebel Walk. For the best coverage of all things Ole Miss please visit their site and follow them on Twitter at the Rebel Walk. And a special hello to our good friend Ole Miss Evie, you can follow Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and her fantastic site at the Rebel Walk. Also, hello to our dear friends Ms. Donna and Ms. Kathy. On December 7, 2019, Lane Kiffin agreed to leave Florida Atlantic University to become the new head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels. One month later, on January 9, 2020, Mike Leach left Washington State and was named the new head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Just like that, two of the most polarizing and outspoken coaches in all of college football were located in the state of Mississippi and the Egg Bowl became must-see TV. College football fans quickly got excited about the possibility of seeing two high-flying offenses meeting in a high-scoring affair after Thanksgiving. Well, up to this point in the season, only one offense has held up its end of the bargain and lived up to expectations. The Golden Egg Trophy has been awarded to the winning team in this matchup since 1927, and in a season that has been largely disappointing for both teams, you can guarantee both of these fan bases want nothing more than in-state bragging rights in their coach's first year. For Mississippi State, Leach and his error rate offense debuted in the SEC with a resounding statement, putting up a conference record 623 passing yards and a 44-34 win over the defending national champion LSU Tigers. But ever since Leach's pirate ship looked like it was taking over the SEC, it has been a sinking ship dropping to the bottom of the SEC West standings. After scoring 44 points in its first game, Mississippi State managed to score just 30 in its next four games combined. It has yet to eclipse 24 points in any other games this season and has been held under 360 total yards in five straight games. Out of 127 FBS teams playing this season, the Bulldog offense ranks 116th in scoring, 127th in rushing, 110th in total offense, 100th in third down conversions, 119th in red zone conversions, 99th in efficiency, 125th in explosiveness and 116th in points per opportunity. Just weeks after setting the SEC passing record, quarterback K.J. Costello was benched for true freshman Will Rogers. As it turns out, every defensive coordinator in the SEC, except for LSU's Bo Pelini, has studied the blueprint that Washington and Jimmy Lake laid out for how to shut down the Leach Air Raid. When teams play a zone defense and drop eight defenders into coverage, it renders the passing attack completely inefficient. LSU insisted on playing man-to-man and was torched, but every team since has just sat back in zone and shut down the Bulldogs. Despite the struggles to pass the ball, Leach has remained stubborn and still refuses to run the ball. The Bulldogs rank last in the country in rushing offense, averaging 21.5 rushing yards per game and 1.3 yards per carry. Mississippi State runs the ball just 19% of the time, with the next lowest team rushing it on 33% of plays. I'm sure everybody expected the strength of Leach's team to be its defense, right? After last year's Washington State team finished 111th in the country in total defense, Mississippi State sits 39th in total defense this season. However, the defense has given up over 400 yards in its past three games, including allowing JT Daniels to throw for 401 yards in his first start for Georgia last week. Overall, this has been about as bad of a season as you could hope in Starkville. The Bulldogs have lost so many players to the transfer portal, preseason opt-outs, mid-season opt-outs, injuries, and COVID-19 protocols that they were down to just 49 scholarship players last week against Georgia. The program seems to lose additional players with each passing week, and it's now relying on many freshmen and inexperienced players. For Ole Miss, unlike the Bulldogs, Ole Miss' new offensive coach has lived up to the hype. Kiffin has the Rebels' offense clicking on all cylinders and averaging 41 points per game. Ole Miss is third in the country in yards per game and 14th in offensive success rate. The Rebels rank sixth in the country in passing success, 
led by a pair of breakout stars in quarterback Matt Corral and wide receiver Elijah Moore. After being replaced as the starter in the second half of the 2019 season, Corral regained the starting job in the offseason and has thrived in Kiffin's system. After averaging just 136.2 passing last year, Corral has thrown for 337 yards per game in 2020. He ranks in the top 10 nationally in passing yards, touchdowns, yards per attempt, completion percentage, and quarterback rating while ranking second in total offense. Wide receiver Elijah Moore has been a one-man wrecking crew for the Rebel offense. Of all completions for Ole Miss this season, 44% have been caught by Moore. His 74 receptions and 1,054 yards lead the nation, and he ranks third in receptions of 10-plus yards. Moore has developed into one of the best route runners in college football and has been dominant against single coverage this season. While it's easy to think of Ole Miss as this high-powered passing offense, don't sleep on its running game. The Rebels run the ball at the 28th highest clip in the country and are 25th in rushing yards per game. Ole Miss fans are probably hoping I just end this section without mentioning the defense. I will just keep it brief, the defense stinks. Out of 127 teams, the Rebel defense ranks 124th in scoring, 125th in total yards. Excellent analysis there, Billy, and I'm going to pick up right where you left off. Credit goes to Coach Leach and the players on Mississippi State uh, for playing against Georgia last week with only 49 uh, scholarship players. Just a fantastic effort, albeit a losing effort, but still a fantastic effort. And all week long, I felt like that number was too high for Georgia to cover because even with the change to JT Daniels, I didn't see an explosive enough offense to cover almost a four touchdown uh, point spread. But transitioning from an offense that doesn't have that kind of explosiveness to an offense that does, and that is the offense that we're going to see by the Ole Miss Rebels. Ole Miss is going to score. Make no mistake. Make no mistake about that. They're good enough to put up points on anybody. And while Mississippi State's defense has been better than expected, it's nowhere near elite enough to shut down the lane train. So here's where my analysis leads me to after doing the game script and just really studying what these two teams are at this point in the season. Mississippi State is not going to run the ball, not because they can't, it's just that's not their offense. So that's one less thing that the Ole Miss Rebel defense has to worry about. They're going to see anywhere from 40 to 50 pass attempts in this ballgame. So, can you follow the script, Ole Miss, that everybody else in the SEC has put together except Bo Pelini and rush three, drop eight into coverage, play some combo coverage, play some, um, play something different to where it's not just the same drop three and rush eight. Because you can mix that up and where you'll drop out a defensive lineman and you bring in um, a rush, 
a rushing linebacker or safety to where you can still put some pressure on Rodgers. This game is very important to the fans that live in the state of Mississippi. I mean, this is their equivalent of the Iron Bowl. I mean, it's what they talk about 365 days of the year because there are no pro sports in that state, just like Alabama. So the motivation is going to be there for both Ole Miss trying to finish out their season on a high note and for Mississippi State to where it takes some of the pressure off of Mike Leach because he has had a horrific first year in Starkville. So, I like the notion of Ole Miss scoring 40 points in this ballgame because that's what they've done. Can the Mississippi State offense, to borrow a tennis term, hold serve to where if Ole Miss kicks a field goal, Mississippi State at least matches that. If Ole Miss scores a touchdown, Mississippi State needs to keep putting points on the board because if not, this game could get away from them really quickly. On the other side, can we see Ole Miss take the best rushing attack in the SEC and protect their defense by stealing a couple of possessions in this ball game to where they're not exposing their defense to be on the field for more snaps than absolutely need be. That's going to be the biggest question for uh, me in this ball game as far as Lane's play calling. Get up early in the first half and then salt away the game just a little bit more by calling some runs and not trying to snap the ball so quickly, but protecting your defense by using your offense. Ole Miss comes into this ball game averaging about 212 yards on the ground. So they're good enough to run the ball. I want to see if Lane will be disciplined enough to use that rushing attack. A couple of possessions in the ball game where he's not trying to go hurry up and tempo, but actually pull it back and say, you know what? The more I expose my defense, the more opportunities I'm going to give Mississippi State to stay in this ball game. Our next game is Florida and Kentucky. It seems fairly simple. Kyle Trask is looking for a Heisman Trophy to put on the mantle. Kyle Pitts is back and ready to do damage. Kentucky can't throw the football, and its defense may not be who we thought it was to start the season. This is all the makings of an old-fashioned SEC beatdown. And given what we saw in Tuscaloosa, that isn't an unlikely outcome. For Kentucky. What happens when you find yourself traveling to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, without 10 of your key contributors? In the case of the Kentucky Wildcats last weekend, 63-3 happens. If they're not careful, they could be in for a similar fate in Gainesville. Even with their full complement of players, 
this offense has been, dare I say, offensive. They rank 120th in yards per pass attempt, 5.6, 121st in pass attempts per game, 22.0, and unsurprisingly, 121st in passing yards per game, 122.2. To put that total into perspective, Navy has thrown for 121.4 yards per game this season. Kentucky averaged 121.8 passing yards per game last season even though they spent most of the year with a wide receiver under center. This is not a recipe for staying in a game against a high-flying Gators team that cannot stop the pass. As has been the case all season, Kentucky is looking to control the football through an above-average run game 42nd in FBS with 4.7 yards per carry and lean on a defense that, up until last week, was pretty stout. Even after the shorthanded Alabama thrashing, Kentucky still ranks 45th in FBS, allowing 5.4 yards per play and 50th in FBS in yards per point allowed with 14.4. However, last week was no one-off. The Wildcats also allowed 35 points the week prior to none other than the Vanderbilt Commodores. Something tells me these tail-spinning cats may have problems on Saturday. For Florida, these aren't your older brother's Gators. This offense really is reminiscent of your father's Gators, though. The University of Florida hasn't had an offense this prolific since Steve Spurrier's teams were stomping Peyton Manning every year. During his time in the Swamp, Spurrier did have a multitude of quarterbacks who put up prolific numbers, but the head ball coach never had anyone quite like Trask. Trask has not only been extremely efficient, 70.7% completion percentage with 31 touchdowns to only 3 interceptions. His 10.4 yards per attempt ranks 6th in FBS and his 2,554 passing yards rank 5th. Only Zach Wilson from BYU leads Trask in both categories. However, no one in SEC history had as many touchdowns through the first seven games as Trask. That includes Joe Burrow 29 last season. The key to Trask's success this season has been his ability to spread the wealth. Despite Trask's gaudy numbers, Florida has no pass catcher ranking inside the top 50 in receiving yards. Although, this is partially due to the fact superstar Pitts has missed the last two contests after sustaining an illegal blow to the head. He'll return this week against Kentucky and join a group that combined for 798 receiving yards in his absence. If this Florida defense could stop a nosebleed, this team would be undefeated. Unfortunately, the Gator defense hasn't provided much Gator aid. The Florida defense ranks 81st in FBS in yards per play allowed, 5.8, mostly due to allowing 7.9 yards per pass attempt. Fortunately for the Gators, this Wildcat team has one of the worst pass attacks in all of football. Thanks, Billy. Um, once again, fantastic um, setup for me in this ballgame. No one has really stopped this Florida offense this season. And I really don't see that changing on Saturday. Meanwhile, we know Kentucky's inability to move the ball in the air. And I just don't see them having enough firepower to keep this game close. Kentucky is simply too reliant on the defense turning um, the opposing offense over or being able to get a um, huge chunk in the, um, in the return game. That's really the only scenario where I see Kentucky keeping this game close. We saw um, the game last week where Kentucky went up against a high-powered offense in Alabama and could only muster three points. Now, could they have gotten six points if they don't snap the um, 
the field goal attempt early on in the first quarter over the um, over the holder's head and possibly kick that um, kick that uh, field goal and make it six points. Yeah, but after that, I mean, they weren't even competitive against Alabama. Expect Florida to lay the wood to Florida because it's it's one of those games where they're going to try to say, hey, this is what Alabama did against Kentucky. Let's see what we can do. We'll have more on this game on Saturday morning um, as far as what the point spread will be and um, which way I'm going to be leaning in that ball game. But as of right now, I'm going to say I fully expect uh, Florida to um, win big in this ball game and possibly try to get um, Trask out of the game um, early on in the third quarter and let Emory Jones get a bunch of snaps um, in this ball game, kind of like what Alabama did last week uh, with Bryce Young, um, seeing a lot of snaps in a SEC ball game that's only going to help him for next year. I expect Dan Mullen to try to have kind of the same game plan. As far as Kentucky, it's time to move on from Terry Wilson. We've had this conversation. Um, Joey Gatewood and, and Allen need to get all of the snaps in this ball game. You tap Terry Wilson on the shoulder and, and you thank him for all the things that he's done at Kentucky and coming back from a devastating uh, knee injury, but he's not the answer at quarterback. And you need to use these remaining ball games against some high level competition to get some of your younger quarterbacks, some much needed snaps um, in live game action. Our next game is Vanderbilt and Missouri. On short notice, the Vanderbilt Commodores will travel to Columbia, Missouri, to face the Missouri Tigers. The game was scheduled on Monday night after Missouri's bout against Arkansas was postponed due to COVID-19 contact tracing. The SEC postponed the Vanderbilt-Tennessee rivalry game to help facilitate 10 regular season games for all 14 teams. This will be the 13th meeting between the now SEC East foes, with Missouri leading the all-time series, 7-4-1. Last year, Vanderbilt defeated the 22nd-ranked Tigers in Nashville, 21-14. Vanderbilt is coming off of a 38-17 loss to Florida and Nashville. Mizzou comes into the game as holders of the Mayor's Cup after knocking off South Carolina and the other Columbia last Saturday, 17-10. Vanderbilt is 4-3 against the spread this season and has covered three games in a row. Missouri is 4-2 ATS and coming off a cover last week against South Carolina. Vanderbilt has hit the over three times, while Missouri has gone over twice. Vanderbilt will look to ride true freshman quarterback Ken Seal's recent success as he settles into the SEC. Seals has been assisted by senior wide receiver Chris Pierce Jr., who has snagged a touchdown in four consecutive games, and junior Cam Johnson, who is leading all FBS players in reception since October 25. Mizzou will look to leverage its offense behind senior running back Larry Roundtree 3 and redshirt freshman QB Connor Bazalock. The resolute Mizzou defense will look to have another strong performance this week against the peaking Vanderbilt offense. The Vanderbilt offense has been awakened. Well, at least from a very slow start to the season. The Commodores have averaged 22.5 points per game in their last four games, which is up considerably from the 8.6 points per game Vandy averaged in its first three contests. The Commodores rank 102nd in FBS in total offense, averaging 346 yards per game. The Commodores have been increasingly comfortable throwing the ball as the season has gone on. They have scored 15 touchdowns, with 11 of those coming through the air. 
Look for SEALs to continue building rapport with Pierce and Johnson this weekend as the offense continues to evolve. The Vanderbilt defense is ranked 88th in FBS total defense, giving up an average of 443 yards per game. The Commodores are allowing opponents to score an average of 36 points per game. For Missouri, the Tigers are averaging 21.6 points per game and have scored 15 touchdowns this season. They rank 73rd in total offense with an average of 384 yards per game. The Tigers will look to use their balanced offensive attack against one of the weaker defenses in the SEC. Roundtree should be able to find early success against the Vandy run defense. The Tiger passing defense will be tested by a budding quarterback who will look to get started through the air early. The Tiger defense will hope to force Vandy to the run game, where it hasn't found as much success. This is a very interesting matchup that pits two freshman quarterbacks against each other in this compressed uh, SEC schedule. You've heard me talk, if you've been listening to the podcast over the past couple of weeks, how I thought it was absolutely the right move by both of these coaches to basically throw these young quarterbacks into these games now to get them valuable experience, especially since this is kind of like a red shirt year where they can get playing experience. So the more snaps that they get during this season is only going to have them in a much better starting position next season. So I get it that Vandy is 0-7, but I would not make a coaching change for that very reason. You saw a lot of opt-outs early on um, by Vanderbilt, and they have steadily improved um, over this SEC um, conference-only schedule. And I can tell you this. I would feel much better about my quarterback position if I am a fan of the Vanderbilt Commodores than I would if I was the other team in the state of Tennessee about their quarterback position. And I'm talking about the University of Tennessee, who still have no idea who their quarterback signal caller is going to be starting spring practice and going into the summer workouts because they haven't let that be worked out on the field in these games. So let's break down this matchup a little bit because I think this matchup is a lot closer than what the opening line indicated. I think it was 16. Uh, We've seen that number um, come down as low as 14 and a half. I still think that that's a little bit high. Our model um, shows that Missouri should be about a seven and a half point favorite in this ballgame. So there is value from that standpoint on Vandy for Missouri to cover the spread. They would have to win by two touchdowns and another score of some sort. Secondly, I wouldn't be at all afraid to place a, a, a small a small wager on Vanderbilt winning this game outright. Missouri has not been that explosive enough to where I, I couldn't see Vanderbilt staying close throughout the ball game. And if Vanderbilt does not turn the ball over, and just plays solid on offense, I could see 
Vanderbilt pull, pulling an upset in this game. I'm not calling for it, but to say that I would be shocked by it, I would not. Both of these true freshmen have had a very steep learning curve. We've talked about that. And it looks like things are starting to click for both of them. This game for me is going to come down to which quarterback makes the fewest mistakes in this ball game. And whichever quarterback does that, that team will be the one that pulls a much-needed victory for either team in this matchup. Our next game is Georgia and South Carolina. Motivation levels will be sky-high for the Georgia Bulldogs as they travel to Columbia this weekend to take on a downtrodden South Carolina Gamecocks team that has lost four straight since pulling an upset of Auburn in October. Not only does Georgia need to win its final three games of the season to have at least a shot at playing in the SEC championship game, but the Bulldogs will also have revenge on their minds after South Carolina upset them, 20-17, in double overtime last season. That was actually the only time in program history in which Georgia was ranked in the top five and lost to an unranked team at home. Georgia is 2-5 against the spread in its last seven games, with the overhitting in four of the last five. South Carolina is 3-4-1 against the spread in 2020. Figuring out which Georgia offense we get this week and how South Carolina decides to defend the Bulldogs could decide which side of the total we would want to look toward. The Mississippi State defense forced quarterback JT Daniels and the Georgia passing game to beat it last week, which they did, playing a ton of cover zero on the back end and stacking the box to limit the effectiveness of running backs Amir White in the ground game. Does South Carolina take the same approach on Saturday? I don't think that's a possibility with the Gamecocks being severely depleted in the secondary, with cornerbacks J.C. Horn and Israel Mukuamu opting out of the season following the firing of head coach Will Muschamp. Georgia's offensive line struggled against some of the stunts and slants that the Mississippi State defense presented and rushed for just 8 yards on 23 carries as a result. That was likely a one-off performance. The run game wasn't necessary last week with the newfound success airing out the ball with Daniels making his long-awaited debut. He threw for 401 yards and 4 touchdowns. Daniels and his talented trio of receivers, Jermaine Burton, Kearys Jackson and George Pickens should find success against a depleted South Carolina secondary. Georgia found its starting quarterback for the remainder of the season last week. Is it South Carolina's turn on Saturday? Colin Hill was ineffective once again against Missouri, and interim head coach Mike Bobo decided to hand over the reins to true freshman Luke Doty in the second half. No official announcement has been made as of writing, but indications are that the highly regarded freshman will get the nod this weekend. Doty completed 11 of 23 passes for 130 yards against the Tigers last week and rushed for 59 yards on 11 carries, offering a different dimension to the offense than the more stationary Hill. South Carolina star receiver Shea Smith suffered a possible concussion on the first possession of the game and did not return, leaving a cloudy status over his availability for this week. He is doubtful to play, per reports. That news is more important to the Gamecocks than most other teams in college football, as Smith accounts for 42% of the team's total targets in the passing game. With no threat of a passing game, the Missouri defense loaded the box and limit the Gamecocks star running back, Kevin Harris, who was held to his second lowest rushing total of the season at 58 yards. Being one-dimensional heading into a matchup with a Georgia defense that is number three in the land and allowing fewer than 75 rushing yards per game is less than ideal. This Georgia Bulldog uh, defensive front, um, as I've said all season long, has been an elite run-stopping defense, and they're going to need to be that um, versus uh, Kevin Harris, um, South Carolina star running back. And Doty, who has shown us in last game that he's willing to pull the ball down and run um, some zone reads and 
kind of take the ball down if the play breaks down. So that's something to be on the lookout for. Now, our model has this a little bit closer than the 21 and a half point spread. We have it somewhere around uh, 18 and a half. So I want to see where this number moves overnight and about an hour or so before kickoff, before I really feel comfortable um, handing out a recommendation on this ball game. So let's let's pay attention and let's let's follow the money as far as how this number moves overnight and into the first couple of hours tomorrow morning and see if we can give you a better indicator at at that moment. But right now, I don't have a really strong lean either way as far as can Georgia cover 21 and a half? You're looking at a final score of somewhere 38 to 13 or something like that. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it also possible that we could see kind of a repeat where against Kentucky, I get it, Stetson Bennett was the quarterback, but where Kentucky was just able to stay around long enough and and kind of hold that number, uh, that's also possible. So let's just see where this number kind of settles an hour or so before, before the kickoff. Thank you, Kenneth. After this commercial break, we will be back to finish the rest of the games on Saturday in the SEC. Head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of our good friend David Walker's book, I'll Tell You When You're Good. This is the incredible story of Walker's demanding, provocative, bitterly fought career, and the most miraculous comeback of all time. Now the hardest fighting fight in Texas Ag you ever lived reveals his life as the on-field general inside the cold-blooded arena of college football. Join fans now in discovering the most disturbingly fascinating career in NCAA history with the youngster who lived it, including unique stories of a superb high school coach and the all-time game-changers for Aggie football, the Wishbone Gang. Walker is the only college-level quarterback to ever publish a book based on his experiences in amateur athletics, and remains the youngest starting college athlete ever. He held the single-season passing record at Sulphur High for 40 years and the single-game QB rushing record at Texas on for 35 years, a true dual-threat quarterback. Enjoy the flavor of Southwest Louisiana and the adopted Texas swagger in his unique voice as he takes you down a one-of-a-kind path you could never imagine possible in the modern era of college football. In so doing you will uncover what may be the greatest amateur sports story of all time. Welcome back everyone as we finish out the final games on the Saturday slate. Our next game is LSU and Texas A&M. Let me give also give a shout out to our good friend and former Texas A&M quarterback David Walker. If you have not done so already head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of his book, I'll tell you when you're good. We almost made this our featured SEC game of the week because of the intriguing storyline to this matchup. The LSU Tigers travel to College Station on Saturday to take on the Texas on Aggies at Kyle Field. This is LSU's first visit to College Station since the epic 74-72 on win and seven overtimes in 2018. After a few weeks off, LSU picked up its biggest win of the season at Arkansas, 27-24, last Saturday. Freshman quarterback T.J. Finley took a step forward after a disappointing showing at Auburn as he passed for a career-high 271 yards and two touchdown passes. While Finley and the LSU offense have seemingly taken a step forward, the Tigers will have their hands full trying to keep pace with the Aggies' offense and their elite rushing attack. 
Although LSU is improving on both sides of the ball, this is a nightmare matchup for the Tigers' defense, and the Aggie team total looks intriguing once again. If the Tigers hope to be competitive in College Station, the defense needs to take a huge step forward. LSU has frustrated its fan base by giving up explosive plays every week and struggling to stop the run. LSU ranks 126th in the country in stopping big plays, and this problem has only gotten worse as games go on. Miscommunications and mental errors in the back end have plagued LSU all season, as it has given away easy yardage to opponents. The Tigers are dead last among SEC teams in opponents' second-half yards per play, 8.1, and last among Power 5 teams in opponent yards per second-half pass attempt, 12.2. LSU's run defense needs to take a step forward as well. The Tigers rank 110th in opportunity rate and 92nd in rushing success rate, meaning that opposing offenses have consistently gained decent yardage against them to stay on schedule and keep their playbooks wide open. This needs to change against an elite-on rushing offense for the Tigers to have a chance. LSU's pass rush is a bright spot on defense. Senior defensive end Andre Anthony was named SEC Co-Defensive Lineman of the Week after tallying four tackles and two sacks at Arkansas. LSU ranks 21st in the nation in pressure rate and 34th in sack rate. Anthony leads a group of pass rushers that will have their hands full with an Aggie offense that gets rid of the ball quickly. For the Aggies, after a huge 41-38 win against Florida, the Aggies quietly won three more games in a row comfortably against Mississippi State, Arkansas and South Carolina before missing games against Tennessee and Ole Miss because of COVID-19. ONM is the best team no one is talking about, and it has a great chance to make a statement on a national stage against the defending national champs in a rivalry game Saturday night. After underwhelming in his first few years in College Station, Kellen Mond has taken a step forward in 2020 after a sluggish opener against Vanderbilt. Mond ranks in the top 30 nationally with 16 touchdown passes, just two interceptions and a QBR of 76.5. He was heating up before the COVID-19-induced break, as he combined for eight total touchdowns and no interceptions in his last two games. Mond's offensive line has played a huge role in his success, as it ranks third nationally in offensive sack rate, Mond has been sacked only twice. Furthermore, play calling has helped minimize the number of sacks by getting the ball out of Mond's hands quickly. While Mond has improved, the Aggie offense is powered by star running back Isaiah Spiller and a dominant defensive line. Spiller ranks second in the SEC with 6.2 yards per rush and fourth in the SEC with 643 rushing yards. Other Aggies have had success rushing, too, as on ranks first in the SEC in yards per rush and second in rush yards per game. While this LSU defense took a step forward last week against Arkansas, it faces a nightmare scenario if what we're starting to see with the schedule um, being um, adjusted for some of the games that were postponed earlier on in the season. Reports are, are now starting to leak out about LSU playing Alabama at home next week in, in Baton Rouge, followed by a game against Florida, which is a makeup game on the 12th. So LSU up until this point hasn't faced a, a real high powered offense and given up the kind of numbers that they've given up against will go against a really good AM offense starting this week. So let's pick it up right there and, and, and talk about this matchup. Since Jimbo Fisher, and I'm not saying took my advice, but we talked about it several weeks ago. When I said that the a and offense needed to move away from 
Kellerman being the focal point as far as throwing the ball because he is not an elite passer from the pocket, um, especially when he's in in the in that cylinder and trying to um, dictate uh, coverages like we see with Cal Trask, like we see with Matt Corral at Ole Miss, like we see with Matt Jones at Alabama. That's not who Kellen Mann is as a passer. So, with that being said, Jimbo made the focal point using Kellen Mann's legs, like we saw a lot last year, and the emerging run game led by Isaiah Spiller. This young man has absolutely been on fire, and I would say probably one of the top three or four running backs in the SEC right now. And I'm talking about Najee Harris for Alabama. I'm talking about Kevin Harris for South Carolina. And I'm talking about Jerion Ely of Ole Miss. Those are kind of my four guys in the SEC at the running back position that are just absolute game changers. So I like the Aggies to cover the 14 and a half points and would even take it up to 16, but I really like it better at the 14 and a half. I don't normally like laying that many points, but A&M is one of those handful of offenses that will pose big problems for this LSU defense. Combine that with what we've seen from the from the Aggie defense kind of gives me that comfort level of A&M not only winning the game, but, but actually winning it um, at a comfortable margin. Now, the strength of this LSU team on defense is its ability to rush the passer, but I feel like that's going to be neutralized by that strong Aggie offensive line and a lot of quick passes by Kellamont. You want to get the ball out of your hands quickly and let your playmakers kind of take the load off of uh, Kellamon and um, continue to move the ball down the field. We'll have more on this game uh, Saturday morning as far as the team totals, but I want to just kind of see uh, where the value is on that um, on those two numbers uh, for both LSU and Texas A&M. Our final game of the week is the Iron Bowl with Alabama hosting Auburn in Tuscaloosa. Guys, this is our game of the week. In the state of Alabama, this game and the results will be talked about for the next 365 days. This is our game of the week and Billy gives us the breakdown and Kenneth will follow with his analysis. Since an embarrassing loss to South Carolina, the Tigers have played excellent football. Auburn has won and covered three straight against Ole Miss, LSU and Tennessee. There are flaws with each one of those opponents, from the Volunteers' second-half play to the Tigers' inept defense attack. Nonetheless, Gus Malzahn's team is 5-2, despite critics of SEC officiating. Malzahn opened the week addressing the injury situation to running back Tank Bigsby and a pair of offensive linemen. All are listed as questionable, as Bigsby was unable to finish the Tennessee game. Both offensive linemen, Rodarius Ham and Alec Jackson, would be major losses or as Kenneth likes to say very significant. Jackson has played 421 snaps as Bo Nix's blindside tackle. Ham has 438 snaps at right tackle. Austin Troxell has experience in 81 snaps at tackle but has the worst pass-blocking grade of any Auburn lineman, according to Pro Football Focus. 
Defensively, KJ Britt will continue to sit after recording 16 tackles in just two games. Coordinator Kevin Steele will rely on a trio of defensive linemen to generate pressure on quarterback Mac Jones. Big Cat Bryant, Derek Hall and Colby Wooden have a combined quarterback hurry total of 35 on the season. For Alabama, since Lane Kiffin took the Crimson Tide to the limit in a 111-point game that saw the Rebels cover the spread, Nick Saban has coached games in scorched-earth mode. Alabama has won and covered four games straight against Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Kentucky. Saban has won the past two games with a combined score of 104-3. When it's college football playoff ranking season, Alabama shows up to remind everyone who should be the top overall seed. The Crimson Tide rank in the top five in categories ranging from offensive success rate and explosiveness to finishing drives. These numbers are a direct reflection of how Saban projects the college football game, and more of these statistics will exist in the future. One reason we were high on Alabama entering the season was the minimal drop from Tua Tagovailoa to Jones, who has looked good against the toughest part of the 2019 schedule. It's Jones's ability to throw under pressure that set him apart. In 2020, he has an adjusted completion percentage of 83% without pressure and 85% when blitzed. This Alabama offense has been nothing short of spectacular all season long. And they can get you any way that they want to get you. If you want to put eight in a box, Mac Jones can throw for 450 yards and four touchdowns with no problem. Okay, so you want to drop eight in the coverage, Najee Harris, Brian Robertson Jr., the two young kids that we saw last weekend, um, can absolutely put up 250 yards rushing and four touchdowns, and they can do it without any problem because that offensive line is built to roll grade you into the ground. So what I call this kind of offense, and I said the same thing about LSU's offense last year, it puts defensive coordinators into crucial conflict. In the last place you want to be against elite play callers, whether it was Joe Brady last year, whether it's Steve Sarkeesian this year, you don't want to be in crucial conflict against an elite play caller. Notice I didn't say elite offensive coordinator. When you're facing an elite play caller, he's going to dial up specific plays based on down and distance, where they're at on the field, and coverages that he's expecting to see based on formation and personnel groups. What Steve Sarkeesian can do with this kind of offensive firepower has been absolutely scaring defenses throughout the SEC. And Auburn, you just happen to be the next one up on deck. Kevin Steele has been a fantastic defensive coordinator for a long time in the SEC. But when you're going to have to prepare to face an offense like Alabama, Without guys like Marlon Davison and Derek Brown, how are you going to get pressure on Mac Jones? Because if you blitz, this young man absolutely carves up blitzes. Are you going to try to double team 
Devontae Smith, John Michi, Slade Bowden, and even Najee Harris out of the backfield. And we even saw Billingsley um, make an appearance last week. So, and that wasn't done by accident, ladies and gentlemen. That was to give Auburn another thing to prepare for. So, let's talk about the game script. If Auburn is to pull off the upset against Alabama. Bo Nix, who has not been an accurate passer, I granted, I've seen what he's done the past couple of weeks, but I still don't trust him enough to where I'm going to completely be worried about his ability to beat me from the pocket consistently throughout the ballgame. So, Auburn, here's your recipe. Um, And especially if um, Tank Bixby is going to be out, I think because it's the Iron Bowl, the young man is going to probably take a painkilling injection and try to give it a go um, in this ballgame. I don't think he's going to be effective. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on Shivers, the other running back for Auburn. Now, he's not a between-the-tackle running back like Bixby is. He's more of a get-on-the-perimeter, use some of the eye candy to kind of scheme him up to to find some creases. Bo Nix is going to have to have a a performance similar to what Johnny Manziel did against Alabama uh, when he first uh, stepped on the scene in Tuscaloosa and had just kind of that everything go right kind of performance. If Bo Nix throws for 350 yards, four touchdowns, runs the ball for another 80 yards, another touchdown, and has no turnovers whatsoever, you tip your hat to the Auburn um team Gus Malzahn and say good night God bless Auburn is going to have to have that kind of performance i.e. a Johnny Manziel i.e. a Bo Wallace uh, for Ole Miss years ago to pull off that kind of upset kind of like a Matt Corral had going against Alabama this year just could not match point for point but for three plus quarters of that ball game was absolutely cooking. That's the kind of performance that Bo Nix is going to have to have in this ball game. Also, the Auburn defense is going to have to do something that no other defense has done um, this season against Alabama, and that's hold Alabama to under 40 points. There's not a scenario because I'm not finna make up something and say, well, if Mac Jones turns the ball over uh, four times in this ball game, because he hasn't done that all season, I'm not gonna throw that into the game script. Najee Harris fumbles um, twice in the ball game. Najee has only one fumble um, in his collegiate career, so I'm not gonna throw that into the mix. So Auburn is going to have to, like last week against Tennessee, 
force an INT, and take it back for a touchdown. They're going to have to get a special teams uh, play, whether it's a block punt, a block kick, a punt return uh, that sets them up um, in really good position to score a touchdown, um, a kickoff, a long kickoff return, something like that to where they can get instant points. If all of those things happen, Auburn, you have a shot to win the ball game. Our model has been consistent all week long. We've had Alabama by three touchdowns in this ball game. We're going to watch tomorrow um, to see where this line actually comes in at um, overnight. We'll have recommendations uh, once we kind of see that, and we will absolutely um, put all of our plays um, for each game on Twitter. So um, if you want to follow time underscore advantage, you can absolutely see every single play that we're going to have um, in all of these games, and especially this one being the Iron Bowl. My expectations is Mac Jones uh, gets a little personal redemption. Um, if you guys remember, I talked about last season on Twitter how Alabama lost the Iron Bowl but found their quarterback going into this season. Um, Mac threw not one but two um, red zone pick six uh, interceptions. Auburn took him back for touchdowns. And not one time did this young man come off the field with his head in his chest. He looked at Coach Saban, looked at Coach Sarkeesian and said, I got it. Um, I'll learn from this. It put Alabama in the position that it's in right now to be the number one ranked team in the college football playoffs in the opening week and the odds on um, Vegas favorite to win another national title. This ball game, like I said, I expect Mac to, to get a little personal satisfaction and throw for, let's say, 300 yards plus, at least three touchdowns in this ball game, and absolutely put a hurting on the Auburn Tigers um, in Brian Denny Stadium, um, coming away with a huge win and setting up. Uh, the final stretch um, of the regular season for the Alabama Crimson Tide as they get ready to prepare for the Florida Gators in the SEC championship game here in about um, in about three weeks. So that's my um, game script for, for this ball game. And like I said, tune into the podcast for tomorrow as uh, Summer gives you uh, the weather forecast for all six games. Billy's going to give you um, the Vegas lines as far as where we've seen movement as far as the side and totals. And I'm going to give you my two-minute warning on each of these six ball games as we get you ready for kickoff on rivalry weekend in the Southeastern Conference. Thanks, Kenneth and Billy. I will be back with my guys Billy and Kenneth on Saturday morning to provide you with the weather forecast for all the games, Billy will give you a final look at the line movements that he has been tracking all week just prior to kickoff and Kenneth will give you his final thoughts about these games kicking off. Be sure to head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of our good friend David Walker's book, I'll Tell You When You're Good. Please give a follow to our good friend Ole Miss Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and her fantastic site at The Rebel Walk. 
We are also proud to support our dear friend Rachel Barbo and her organization I'm Changing the Narrative. For more information please visit www.imchangingthenarrative.org. Be sure to check our good friends at Whitwell Sports. Their mission is simple, to provide the best product and service to their customers. They take great pride in their company, their commitment to customer service, and in the product they sell. Their website is www.witwillsports.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at Title Towel. Be sure that catch Kenneth breaking down the game of the week in the SEC on the Southern Gentleman Sports Show with the Georgia Dog, Pac-12 Dave, Noel Corr, Irish Bill, Tiger Mike, and Ms. Callie Cash on the Ticket 850 where you can stream the show at www.wearesportsradio.com. Also be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at time underscore advantage. In closing, we want to say thank you for listening to this preview for this weekend's games. And remember whether it is the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, or the English Premier League and coming later this fall we will be covering basketball for the SEC and Ohio Valley Conferences. Because we are the Crunch Time Sports Advantage Network and we are here to help you find your sports advantage. Be sure to check out our Saturday podcast as we will give you the weather and line movements and all of the games right before the games begin. For Kenneth and Billy, this is summer and a wonderful day everybody. 